0: Hi, I'm Conrad Marshall, and from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Good Weekend Talks, a magazine for your ears in which we take a deep dive into the definitive stories of the day. Every week you can download new episodes in which top journalists from across our newsrooms host conversations with the people capturing the imagination of Australia right now. This week, however, the format is a little different, as we train our long-form lens inward And take a look at the specialist craft of writing a magazine feature story with that in mind we have two guests today good weekend senior writers jane kadzo and amanda hooten both are veterans of the magazine and both have that enviable and intangible nose for a story eye for a scene and ear for a quote as evidenced by the brilliant body of work they each put together throughout 2022 and hosting this conversation about everything from gaining access to a tricky subject To Finding Your Writerly Voice is the editor of Good Weekend, Katrina Strickland.
1: Thanks, Conrad, and hi, Jane and Amanda. Hello. Hi. You both make it look so easy, but as all three of us know, it's excruciatingly difficult and the process of getting each of those pieces out the door kind of nearly breaks you every single time. Certainly nearly breaks me too. Um, and I think also pulling a reader through four or 5,000 words is so much harder than it looks if you're a good writer. People don't even think twice about it and that's why we often have the biggest engagement times online of, of any stories across the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age because people stay with your stories. If they're not well written, if they're not crafted properly, they don't even get to... You know, they, they drop off after one or two thousand words. So I think it will be good for people to hear, you know, what it's like to do it. But but let's go back to the very beginning and when you both came into feature writing and did you always have magazine writing in mind or did it kind of, how did it come about? So, Jane, let's start with you. Tell us how you came to be a feature writer.
2: Well, I started out um, as a cadet you know, journalist uh, on the Courier-Mail actually. And uh, for years I did news reporting, um, but I always loved um, what we called colour writing, you know, in the news pages. And I think I just sort of moved um, naturally from that. When I then worked at The Australian, I started writing a lot of features stuff then and then came to Good Weekend.
3: I mean, I... I decided to sort of look for a career in journalism, I didn't train as a cadet like Jane. I, I did a, a university degree in English and history and, you know, got to the end of my university career and thought, well, what do I do now? You know, I'm, I'm trained to do precisely nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I had always been an incredibly voracious reader and not a reader of the news. Um I never read the newspapers, in fact, terribly. What a terrible admission, but th- but that's the truth. And um, and you will know, Katrina, that even now I perhaps am not always as up-to-date on the news as I could be, but I did love feature writing and um, I loved feature stories. You know, I, I read The New Yorker at university and Vanity Fair. I just thought that whole kind of world of those big, long, juicy stories was just so gorgeous. Um and so when I, I got some work experience, that's what happened to me. I was I went to university in the UK. I got some work experience at the Scotsman newspaper in Edinburgh just for two weeks um, after I finished university. And the only place on the paper that would take me for work experience was the Weekend magazine. And so I went there and did two weeks' work experience and wrote one Story, a thousand word story, a, a a guy, a visitor's guide to St Andrews, actually, which was where I, where I went to university, and then at the end of that two weeks, the editor, who was a terrific woman, um, said, "Do you want to have another two weeks?" And if you, you know, the whole deal was, if you write anything and get it published, we'll pay you, but otherwise, you don't get anything, and so that was, and I stayed at the at the Scotsman for two years on that basis. So I learned very quickly how to actually get a story published and I was always writing feature stories because that's where I sat in the paper. Um, And also I had no training, like Jane would have got legal training and shorthand training and, you know, specific um, skills to be a news reporter and I had none of those skills so all I could do was magazine writing.
1: <laughs> but it sounds like that was perfectly it pitched was. to your interests yes. anyway. That yeah. was where you would have wanted to go. You just went there quicker.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And I only later did I realize what a privilege it was really that you know um people spend a lot a long time in their career trying to get to feature writing and yeah I was just you got that very, right the- I was just really lucky, but I used to you know I used to feel like the news reporters were the real journalists, you know, I I, I always sort of felt like I wasn't quite up to up to the mark. You know I wasn't kind of um well trained enough to be a to be a, a news reporter. yeah, and then
1: you came back to Australia and joined good Weekend. Exactly.
3: I got a job done in London after two years at the Scotsman. Um, I worked for The Daily Telegraph in London, and then I came back to Australia and got a job at at Good Weekend, yeah, yeah, so.
1: And Jane, how would you differentiate feature writing from news reporting, having done both? What would you say the main difference with a, a magazine feature versus, say, a news review or insight, you know, news feature?
2: Well, I mean, apart from the obvious one of length, uh, you know, so that means you're thinking in a different way to start with. I was never actually very good at um, news writing. I... I I didn't like the the speed of having to, you know, bash. Some people love that adrenaline of get the story out in an hour. I, I My brain just works more slowly than that. So I was, um, uh, that side of it didn't appeal to me. And also, you know, I remember situations where I'd be sort of at a press conference and this was in the days when everybody ran off to a, a um a public phone to phone in those oh, stories yes. before mobiles. And I'd be the one sort of standing there and everybody else had scattered <laughs> to the phones and I'm thinking, what did I miss, you know? What, what What's the story? And, you know, so I was not suited to it. Uh, I mean, once I started uh, feature writing, I just love the luxury of being able to really just treat a subject, give it the time and, and the um, depth and the kind of... Um, the nuance that a news story is about, you know, ABC, who, when, where, what, why, um, and a feature story, as we know, is is about keeping entertaining people as well as informing them. The news story is designed to be um, finished at any point, so the the first paragraph's got the most the main information, and so on. So. Most people aren't going to get to the bottom, whereas with a feature story we're hoping that people will get to the end and that they'll find it worthwhile to have got to the end because, you know, there's a a conclusion to the story. And
1: there's a lot of contextualising and colour but also analysis, isn't there? Um, Talking with another one of our writers, once I remember, we kind of came to the conclusion that in a news story or particularly, say, in an investigative piece – it's pretty black and white. Like you're either on this, you know, you're painting a picture that's black and white. Whereas we're all about the grays, aren't we? Even if you're doing a profile on someone, you're, yeah, you're painting in the nuance, as you say, Jane. You're not, you're not trying to say they're good or bad. It's all about the complexity of the human. Amanda, tell us a bit about that because you really have to put yourself in it. I guess that's what I'm saying. And you're making a million little judgment. Judgments tr- yeah. all the way through on whether you're being too kind or too tough, yeah. or include this or not include that. Tell us a bit about that.
3: Yeah, well, I suppose that one of the one of the kind of um, intricacies of being a generalist feature writer, um, I suppose, you know, with news writing, so most most news reporters have a beat, so they have a, an area of expertise, and so they know a lot about the subject before they write their daily pieces. Whereas I always feel like I know nothing about almost everything I write about. Um, You're coming is, from a standing start. <laughs> you are, absolutely. That's right. And so um, all of those judgments and all of those decisions and all of that, you know, I often think of a feature as a kind of knowledge-gathering experience for both the writer and the reader. Mm. Um, and so part of the way you pull a person through a story is by um, – kind of, I think, is by that journey of discovery. Um, and even if it's a profile, you know, I wrote a story about Fiona Wood earlier in the year and I kind of thought I knew about Fiona Wood. She's the doctor. A, yes, yeah. the, she's the famous um, Australian, well, born in England, but Australian surgeon who developed um, spray on skin after and, and became very famous after the Bali bombings. You know, and I sort of thought I had a bit of information about her. I sort of had her name in my head and she's one of those people that's kind of in the in the ether of Australian um, icons, I suppose. You know, she was Australian of the Year and stuff like that. But just finding out the sort of detail of her life and, you know, kind of building that picture for myself as much as the mm. reader, you know, that, that was the kind of process of feature writing in a way is to kind of um, to to build this picture that is that is interesting and, of course, you have to... There's there's way too much information in, in a life to include all of it but to find the things that you really that really explain the subject or the person. I always remember in my first job at the Scotsman, actually it was the design editor who took me out for a beer one night and we was, he was a great guy and we were sitting there and he said... I was sort of saying, how do you write a feature? you know?" <laughs> and um, he said, you think of the thing that is that if you were sitting here with me in the pub, you think of the thing that is the, the, the first thing you would tell me about a story, that's the thing you start the feature with and you go like that. You yeah. know, you just try to find the most interesting anecdotes and you, 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 you build, you know, you kind of connect them together. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's how you interest people and that's how you kind of keep people engaged and that's
1: how you sort of tell, tell the story. And people often assume that the right, because it's so writerly, that the writing is a huge percentage of the time. But say you spend a good few weeks, you know, three or four weeks on a feature, which most mm. of ours do yeah, take, which absolutely. also surprises people. <laughs> yeah. How much of that would be the researching and interviewing and colour gathering and how much would be the writing, would you say?
3: I think journalists, I mean, it'd be, I'd, I'd love to know what... Jane would say to this, because I always think Jane's features are like this amazing combination of obviously incredible research. You've always spoken to so many people, Jane. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and people who are uh, hard I'd to get too to. too many.
2: I'm a tragic over-researcher, <laughs> actually. Well, that's right.
3: And so people are different. Uh, Whereas I am always, I think it's because I'm more comfortable with the writing part of it. I usually spend the bulk of my time actually writing. But that's in itself kind of mad, really, because you can't, I always think the writing is the thing that Comes that you kind of can't control. You know, you you just sit down and you just you just try to tell the information, and and sometimes you get what what you think is a, a nice phrase or a, a nice way of expressing an idea, but you have no idea where that comes from, really. You know, I think yeah. it's just the accumulation of thought and your subconscious is working away at all that information that you've been, you know, obsessively <laughs> gathering and waking up in the middle of the night and thinking about. And then somehow, you you know, you've formulated and occasionally a nice, nicely written, you know, phrase appears and it's only ever a phrase I mean every I've sometimes I don't know how you feel Jane but I sometimes get to the end of a paragraph and I just feel like (laughs) I've climbed a mountain and now I have to climb another mountain and I have no idea what the next paragraph is going to be you know like yes that oh it's just it's an ongoing it's like I think it was Gertrude Stein said I hate writing, but I love having written. Yes. And that's how I feel. I'm mm. always so glad when it's over and then I'm thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> but the process itself is just a one long yeah. agony. For it's me. Someone
1: else said it's like an elephant through a needle, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Jane, tell us about your process. And what percentage you would put in the researching and interviewing versus the writing?
2: Well, I, I am seriously a tragic over-researcher. I mean, to the point of the ridiculous. I, I always end up with an insane amount of material and I have to ring a lot of people and or text them, which is better rather than <laughs> them directly, to say, I'm so sorry, you know, thank you for your help. Because the help has always been valuable. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I'm not quoting you directly because I always have run out of Mm. space to do that. But, in fact, I find it all helps. You know, it makes – even though I'm not directly using that material, it makes me more confident about what I am writing. Mm. And people often don't
1: understand that, do they? Because in news, if you you interview someone, you quote them, whereas – as you say, yes. for us, there's a whole lot of interviews. I mean, that's that's a delicate thing to make sure they're not annoyed of <laughs> having exactly. given you some of their time and they thought they were going to get a yeah. PR
2: thing out of it and they're, not, they're on the common yes. room floor. Yes, yeah, sometimes they're relieved. In fact, I think they're often quite relieved, mm. especially if, if you've had to sort of talk them into talking to you in the first place. Mm. Um, and, and usually they do, if you get in touch with them beforehand, which I always do, to let them know... They, they, they don't seem to mind and, and I think they understand that, you know, you are genuinely grateful for their help. But anyway, I always spend um, – I always just think, oh, I'll just make one more call, you know, that person who's, who's going to give me, you know, the perfect bit of information could be this next one. Um, and so I never really leave enough time for writing so this is all the reason that Amanda probably gets her stories in on time. And I'm always oh, saying, that. Please. <laughs> yeah. I need I need another day. Oh. <laughs> so. But actually
1: that's interesting because I remember Michelle Grattan the political columnist saying exactly the same thing in an interview I once listened to, that she would be the one who would be there at 11pm <laughs> making that one last call. Oh, yeah. So, yes, I mean, I there's think, method yes. to that madness. It does often yes. provide you with
2: the gem that you need. Mm. Yeah, well, sometimes it does. Uh, sometimes it does. Um, but then the writing part, um, I, I mean, I totally know what you're saying about how hard and painful it can be. I mean, it's not like... Um, you know, building roads or something like that. It's all relative, but it, it is, it makes my brain, you know, every single time it makes my brain exhausted. Mm. And um, it, but I, I think I've spoken to you about this before, but there it does finally get to a point I find when I'm about three quarters of the way through when you you are on the downhill mm. slope. That's so thrilling, and, that
1: point, isn't it?
2: And you think, this story is actually going to get written after all, you know. <laughs> it's not that bad God, God. after all. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And by that point, you know what you were saying, Amanda, about at the beginning, you don't know what is going to happen yeah. in the next paragraph. Yeah. But by the time you get three quarters of the way through, it's sort of like the piece. most of the pieces of the puzzle are in place. Yes. So you've got fewer bits to choose from yes. to finish it off, if you know That's what I true. mean. So the, de- the decision becomes easier with... As you go along. Although then yep. I'm
3: completely traumatized about having to wrap it all up into some, you know, know. perfect sort of conclusion. You know, so I'm I I, I don't feel like that. I just feel and what like, you've I'm left out, you had to leave right out right to the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I suppose mm. I do have a moment when I get to the end of the first section. That's always a relief for me. You know, yes, that, yes, where you've got a kind of opening bit that you think will work. But yeah, yeah,
2: Be- yeah because that opening bit is always the bit. Where you've set the whole thing up, mm. really? Yes, exactly. You know, that, that's telling the reader why they should be reading it, and if, that if they read to the end, they might find out. You know, to give them that idea that there's more to yeah. come. But that that, I mean, by the time you finish that first, certainly the first thousand words, um, the story is basically in your head, yes. even if you don't know the order. that yes, it's Yes, that's. To, I guess that's mm, true. Do that. That's Don't right. you think? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: And then there's always. Tell me if you agree with this. There's always that time, like say you're on that down, downhill slope, Jane, and you think, "Oh, I've only got 800 words to go." Mm. But then once you've got those 800 in, it always then takes double what you assume. The next final synthesizing of, like, so then you've got your 4,000 words, but then you kind of need to somehow. Do you find that, or have you got it to where it's I, you're pretty happy? I by think I.
2: I think I do it along the way. Right. Okay. I think I, I'm I'm a, I'm a really slow writer, but by the uh, but I don't um, do a big revision or anything. I've got I've by the time I get to the end, i finish. Yes. That's so
1: interesting because um, yeah. Tim, I've had this conversation with Tim Elliott and Conrad Marshall, two of our other writers, and they Tim is a bit like that. Like he will build it in building blocks to the word length, and then the end. Whereas mm, Conrad mm. will write eight thousand words and mm. he so at the end he's just kind of synthesizing it down to the 4000 or 5000 needed so everyone has mm. a different different mm. way really don't they absolutely yeah. Jane, we've often talked about what makes someone a magazine profile and you've always said, which I think is such a good point, that just because someone's doing something amazing or is in the public eye does not mean that they would warrant a magazine profile. So what is it that Mm. tips them into magazine worthy?
2: Yeah, because, um, you know, worthy but dull is is definitely, (laughs) you know, you don't want. (laughs) Yes, it's death. Um, So often... um, you want somebody who there's something about them that is just a bit kind of out of the box or, or you know, they're, they're, they're unusual in some way mm. and they're intriguing in some way. They're the sort of person that you would like to know more about. Mm. Yeah, it's really hard to define. I think a little, um, a little tinge of craziness helps, you know, <laughs> people who've got something sort of slightly, you know, well odd or unusual mm. about them mm. seriously i mean that makes people more interesting yeah. so
1: tell us so you've two of your most popular this year have been on twiggy forest and greg norman tell us mm-hmm. why and they were both your ideas you came to me mm-hmm. with them tell us just briefly why each of them were people that you decided warranted a story
2: well i think um andrew forest uh, he he warranted a story in a way, in this is going against what I just said, in that he is so rich and powerful. Mm. So, I mean, he's um, he, he deserves scrutiny for that reason, mm. which doesn't make him a profile piece, but I thought he was, just from what I'd read about him, he was a pretty interesting character. He had come out with so much stuff over the years that I found some of it contradictory um, but interesting. And also just... Involved in that was the tricky part about writing about him, just in has fingers in so many pies. Mm. But yeah, I I thought that I'd never really read a piece that made me understand what he was actually like.
1: Mm. I I didn't the human, the human underneath the business decisions and business successes and values. Yep,
2: yeah, I, I hadn't really. You know, there'd been lots of business profiles, lots of profiles, but I, I felt like there was more to be to said be said about him and he had become more and more powerful and prominent. So, And
1: then Greg Norman yeah. was a case of not having the mm. subject involved, which we do sometimes mm. do, so therefore mm. it was about talking to everyone around him. That's always a hard task, isn't it? But in this case, tell us why
2: you felt <laughs> like that would work in this case. Well, I thought... I thought he was a great subject for us mm. because I've actually for years thought um, Greg Norman would be great. I think f- since the date I first saw one of those nude photographs <laughs> oh of him goodness, yes. from a sports magazine, I thought, wow, <laughs> this is seriously weird. He fits and, that, that uh, slightly crazy husband, uh, <laughs> for Yeah, you know. And um, so I, I've always thought, you know, reading about his wedding to Chris Everett, all that stuff, that he'd be interesting. And um, then his involvement with Live Golf meant that he was absolutely in the news. And from what I'd read about him, I could just tell he was a, a, a really interesting kind of can of worms. And, you know, I approached him several times. He wouldn't... His office... I didn't ever hear from him directly. His office said no. And so I think that that's a case where... Um, Rather than just drop the idea, and also because I thought I'd be able to talk to a lot of people who knew him and had strong opinions about him, he'd be he'd be worth doing anyway. And sometimes, I think it I think it doesn't matter. Sometimes, I mean, it would have been better to be able to sit down and look him in the eye, um, but I think you can sometimes do a story without the person. And in a weird way, it's kind of liberating because when you meet people. Um, as we all know, they charm you and they often and um, you very much are drawn over to their side of looking at the world. You spend time with them, you you know, you're kind of drawn over to their side. So in a way, not seeing him in this case allowed me to, I think, be more objective. And how difficult
1: was it to convince people to talk? I mean, he's powerful, he's rich. Mm. Was that part of the... Real difficulty of this job, or were people quite surprisingly open?
2: A lot of people said no mm. a lot. um I was surprised actually because i I knew that people had strong opinions about him in the golf world, but uh, you know seven out of ten people I approached wouldn't speak to me mm. so um but then some people who I approached who I didn't expect to speak to me agreed. so yeah it was it was fine in the end, but it it took an enormous number of calls, actually. How many would you say? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, 60, you know, I don't know. Mm, See, people wouldn't
1: know that there's that degree of work involved. And just before I go back to Amanda, one of the other stories of yours that was hugely popular this year was on Kylie Moore Gilbert, the Melbourne academic who was imprisoned in Iran. That's another subject again. Now, we wanted to do her, but as with most people that you want to do, they, they would only, you know, she would really only talk when she had a book coming out. But tell us about the duty of care with that kind of person because they've been in a very traumatic situation, they're coming out of it. Um, mm. We've often had that conversation too about that's different to say a Twiggy or a Greg Norman. Yeah. Um, how does that factor into what you write and how you interview and what you ask um, and should you ignore mm. it or... Where, where does that come into play?
2: Well, I'd read the book by the time that I met Kylie and um, and I just was, you know, in awe of what she had been through and the book is so well written and so it really makes gives you a feel for what it was like to spend, you know, most of two years in solitary confinement mm-hmm. not knowing when you're going to get out. Um, so she'd been through an incredibly traumatic experience and so... Yes, I, I felt um, an absolute duty to, to, for this story to, um, you know, not make anything worse for her. Mm. I always feel like the the writer's first responsibility is to the reader. Mm. I always feel that no matter who the subject is. Um, you know, I, I wasn't writing the story about Kylie for Kylie. I was writing it for the reader. Mm. But sometimes, you know, you're just aware mm. of, People somebody who's very vulnerable and has been through an enormous amount in a way that somebody like Andrew Forrest and Greg Norman haven't I have a different attitude to them they're, they're public figures, you know the gloves are off really mm. I think yeah, in, in that sort of situation.
1: and Amanda, one of your most popular stories for the year was on the GP crisis. that again is a different type of story because yeah. it's not based around one human. It's kind of amorphous and hard to work out. There's any number of paths you can go down to write that. Yes. Tell us how like how how you decided to go in on that and do it.
3: Yeah, yes, and I think I went down almost all of those paths <laughs> incorrectly um, <laughs> writing that story. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it, because that's exactly the sort of story that I feel least equipped to write because of its news. And because, you know, even after 20 years plus doing this job, I still don't feel all that confident about news kind of based stories on the, on the you know, on the proviso that I don't feel like I'm very good at news and. Um, so and yet you are. You always and, pull well, them off. I mean and yet there was my editor saying, "I think we need a story on GPs." <laughs> <laughs> so off I went. The thing I always find kind of reassuring in a way with those sort of stories is, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a kind of person on the street. It goes back to this sort of generalist idea of being a feature writer. I I don't have much information about GPs. Um I don't really understand what's going on at the sort of higher levels of politics and and Public health, um, but I have a—I think I have a, a sort of a, a reasonably average, you know, person, man on the Clapham bus kind of idea of this is what I know about GPs, and so that's where most readers are starting a story like that too. So. Um, Again, it's that thing of well, we go on this journey together. We're finding out what, why, why are all these new stories happening about GPS? What on earth is going on? So that's the kind of starting point that everybody begins at, including me. And and then the story itself, really, as I think stories always do, the story turns on individual people's um, experiences. You know, on the which ad- you
1: use to to highlight the yeah, bigger macro kind
3: that's of that's right. Trends and about. and I think that's one of the ways um, that you me that you engage readers is readers are always wanting to hear, I mean humans are always wanting to hear other people's stories. That's, you know, a kind of fundamental of being a human I think. And so yeah, I, I just tried to find people within that big story who, who could Talk engagingly and and um, informatively about it, yeah, including you know public health people who could talk about the Australian health system as you know a, a, a someone from an exoplanet would come and look at a, look at a, Australia's sort of health system and just think it was completely insane. Um, so people who have a you know people are, 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 who can describe. Um, Sort of uh, the nuts and bolts of those kind of stories in interesting ways are really a godsend. Yeah, well, you just sort of try to plot a way through, and
1: and I guess on the way so diverse and diffuse that kind of story. Isn't yeah, it? so you have to find a path through. That's yeah. right.
3: And in and in a way, um, you have to just kind of try to identify the fa- the the major themes as you're going along, and then try to find ways of sort of elucidating those themes I I guess it's it's but it's such an inexact science you know you really I mean and and that's where I think editing is really important because I I know you and I you know we had a lot of discussion about that and I'm like Jane I like to write the story and have the story done when I finish the you know final word um but that was a story where you know I I gave you a version and then you said, well, I think we need to change things. And, you know, I think sometimes you actually do need, and it's one of the reasons, again, that they take a long time, these stories, is sometimes you need
2: more than one eye on the Yeah, you need a bit of a fresh
1: eye to to know if you're going in the right direction. Yeah, Yeah.
2: always. I I think it's, you know, always. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. you get too bogged down yourself. You can't actually see it. Yes, yes. And you find yourself
2: explaining
3: these minutiae, you know, that actually nobody cares Mm. about.
1: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, you get
3: down that well, and <laughs> oh can't my get god, you down it. that rabbit yes. hole, unable to exactly, unable to escape. Yeah.
1: Um, another <laughs> one that you did that was very popular this year was on Claire Smythe, the um, the British chef who's opened a restaurant in Barangaroo, won all these hats, been a. And that was another kind of increasingly (laughs) common story which is how to get the PRs out of the way (laughs) yes, and stop them from stage managing it to within an inch of its life which will actually kill the story. Yes, This has become more common. Absolutely. Um, Tell us what the issue is and how you kind of (laughs) bat them away because I think, again, a lot of it would be quite useful for PR people to understand that... Actually, yeah. it's doing a disservice if you try and control it too much. Yeah, Tell absolutely. Us how you get through that?
3: Well, there's, there isn't really a formula. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, them bro- go away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think sometimes you have to. You have to kind of um, accede to the PR's initial setup because that's the only way you will ever get access to the person. Mm. And then you have to work really hard, really swiftly, I guess, to try to establish enough of a rapport with the person that you can, that they will give you access, or not, not, sorry, when I say the person, I mean the subject, not the PR person, so that you can then begin to actually communicate with the person and say, look, you know, can we can we go and sit over here and, you know, the PR person can, you know, come back when we're finished, we'll be done in an hour, you know, or two hours or whatever it is, because the PR person will never go against what the actual subject Wants you know, Mm. and that's important to remember. Um, Their power you know is about controlling access to the person. But once you've got to the person, then then the person has a will. You know, it's one of the deep frustrations because often that doesn't happen, and you only get access when the interview is starting, and you've got no choice about how the setup works. And once upon a time, we just used to say, "Well, we will not do the story if the if the PR is in the room," but we we just can't do that anymore because the rise of of the pr sort of industry is such that many people and the more famous they get the harder it is to extract them out of that out of the pr kind of milieu but the sad thing is that inevitably once you've got through this story and you know you've actually talked to the person they will they are always then happy to talk to you independently you know after, and give you without their the mobile PR for fact checking oh my goodness and, yeah. yeah and you know and 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 sometimes they even say oh well you should have come and d- done this or i could have taken you here and you know and, and sometimes you can get the chance to do that afterwards but y- usually it's all over and and um, you've you've sort of got this very limited sort of experience which could have been you sometimes think could have been better and richer without the PR often the person is actually really great anyway I mean Claire Smythe was great and I don't think the interview changed at all um, mm. from Claire's perspective because she was there and I guess mm. that's your bottom line isn't it if if you get to the end of the interview and you think I got a proper story I got proper responses from that person they were they were honest they were open you know, then you can continue. You know, there would be occasions where you just can't actually, you know, that things are so constrained that you just think that. You have to pull the pin. Yeah, you do. You have to pull the pin.
1: And I think, Jane, what would you say, and obviously this is predicated on the fact that there are fantastic PRs who really do help, but what do we want them to understand that really getting out of the way helps the story which helps them in a funny way? What else would you kind of say?
2: Yeah, no, well that that's absolutely it. If there's a PR who, uh, you know, and PRs are they're there and they're never going to completely go away, but it's uh, if they understand what feature writing is about and that, that they're best served by um allowing you to get on with the job, um you know, that's that's the most you can hope for. I love it when you do a story where um really the PR is not much in the picture at all. Mm. You know, um, because readers yeah.
1: re- readers respond best to the messiness of life because that's real yeah they don't they' yes, don't exactly. really respond no, to the airbrushed which we don't yeah. do but but you yeah. don't want someone getting in the way of of the yeah. nuanced grays
2: mm. yeah and really I think having somebody in the room um I I mean I I still am in favor of saying don't want to do this I'm sorry mm. you know I I, I think if if at all possible, we should do that because it just does, it does change the dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's just, don't you think, yeah, even definitely. if they're, it, it just does. Mm. And um, so they really need to uh, understand that. It, it just becomes a different, and then you, you know, if you're describing the situation, you really need to say, you know, and the PR's sitting right there as well, you know what mm. I mean? It's sort of, otherwise it, it, we are colluding a bit. With the, um, you know, it's it's difficult. And I know what you're saying, Amanda. You, it does. And I know exactly what you're saying, Amanda. It de- and it depends on the sort of person you're interviewing. Mm. There just may mm. not be that option. But uh, it's worth, it is worth
1: pushing It changes for the it intimacy, because, doesn't it? Mm. Mm.
2: We talk about two of
1: us as a palate cleanser after one of these big features because it's you know, these features take a lot out of you. I don't think any of our writers get to the end of a four or five thousand word feature and aren't utterly exhausted. Yeah. Two of us one of our most popular sections. It's two people in their relationship. It's a thousand words, it's a lot shorter. Jane, how do you just love that that little palette cleanser in between? Like you couldn't go straight from one big feature right on to the next, could you?
2: Well, I mean, you can, but it's – and, you know, the funny thing is um, that um, Amanda and I, we were talking about this before, it's the thing of um, you just finish one absolutely exhausting story and then if if you are starting another big story, there's that weird thing where you think – Oh, this one will be easy. <laughs> this one should be no trouble at all. I, I, it's it's just so bizarre. You'd think after all these years you'd have figured you know, out that... The triumph no. of
3: hope over experience, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah,
2: it is. It's so bizarre. But anyway, um, but it is nice to do a two of us. And and they are, um, I mean, I know we sound like we're kind of whining about how hard our job uh, is, yeah. but two of us is, are actually... Um, More challenging than they might look too because it Mm. it is, you know, it's the words of the two people you're interviewing, but um, they are shaped into and, you know, highly edited as, as, Mm. um, and Mm. so it's asking questions, I guess, that are going to, um, so that the two statements from each person are going to work together. It's so, Mm. I I don't find it easy at all. I enjoy it because it's, um, you know, short and a brisk you know, palate cleanser, as you say, but it's, um, I think some people, I've never found them easy. I think some people do find them relatively easy, but I don't for some reason. No, they're just relatively easier. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. They're different. It's different. And
1: Jane, Mm. you're... Most popular was Sarah Hansen Young and Ben Oquist, who mm-hmm. um, got married um, this year. Yeah, so people love a love story, don't they? And Amanda, yeah. your your most popular two of us for this year was Alex Miller, the writer, and his wife Stephanie.
3: Yes, that's that's it. That's it's as simple as that. People do love a love story, and they yeah. love people who, and you know, I do think too. I know with Alex and Stephanie, it was interesting. You always think people are going to be very private about you know, that aspect of their life or that emotional kind of connection. Um, mm. But sometimes people just love to tell that story, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alex and Stephanie have been together for so long and I think it was a real celebration, you know, of, of of this love affair. And and they both had such vivid memories of the first night that they sort of got together where they'd seen each other at, at university. They were both training to be teachers and then they'd fancy the pants off each other you know from the <laughs> moment they saw each other but they never communicated they i don't think they ever spoke from what they said until this night at the pub, where they basically just sat on, waiting and waiting until everybody else had left, and then they kind of had this moment, and they kissed without ever having spoken. I mean, they just—I <laughs> think—I think, I think um, Alex said to Stephanie, "You—you you might be cold down there. Why don't you come and sit a bit closer?" You know, that was his big line, as he said. <laughs> and then she just came down, and they kissed. And I think they—and what was so lovely was when they told that story. Sometimes, Jane, I'm sure you'll find this—you get two very Different versions of a story, and that's really interesting. Yeah, because people have really different perspectives mm. on things. Mm. But both versions of that story were Alex and Stephanie's version were were almost identical. You know, mm. they they mm. they have either preserved a completely. Um, unified version of that story they <laughs> have <laughs> told, so told it so many times so many times exactly yeah. that they've built it together or or they just have a really it's a sort of it's almost symbolic of their relationship you know which i i think is a very unified one
2: yeah. the thing i, I love, love about okay. two of us is, is um, actually is the sort of bravery of the people who you interview you know what i mean because it's it it, it always requires such candor
0: yes. and um,
2: for it to work at all and um, people are amazing, you know. Yeah, because they they're... do it
3: separately. That yeah, don't they, Jane? I mean, it, mm. readers may not know that, but you don't interview them together. It's not like no, they get right. to kind of talk to mm. each other mm. in the course of it. They they have, like you say, they have to go into a room just with the journalist and tell their story alone, not knowing really what the other
1: person might say.
2: Yeah, and it's so personal by its mm. nature what they're what they're telling you. And um, mm. yeah, I admire them for it.
1: And it's like a sixty to ninety minute interview per per person, which yeah. people wouldn't know either. Just wrapping up quickly, any big ambitions for next year or is the process of what feature writing is that you just kind of, you know, it's just more stories <laughs> and more good stories?
2: <laughs> Jane, start with um, you. Well, I always think, now, next year I'm going to be much quicker. I'm going to get those (laughs) stories done just smoothly and quickly, you know, no sort of sobbing at deadline time. (laughs) No angst. No angst, no waking up in the middle of the night. Um, It'll all be smooth and fine. I do think that every year. It's pathetic. (laughs) But, no, (laughs) I I mean, it's fun. I do love it. And so it's nice to think, you know, who who knows what, what next year will hold. We'll throw up. Mm. What about
1: you, Amanda?
3: Oh, I'm exactly the same.
2: <laughs> I, I, I just
3: think to myself, next year I'm going to stop procrastinating and <laughs> um, and I'm going to find some thing, some, some, some little technique or some strategy is just going to unlock this whole process and it's just going to mm, flow mm. and and it's going to be easy and the process is going to become enjoyable, not just the kind of finished result. Um yeah, and, and so yeah, but that hope springs eternal. That's my <laughs> dream <laughs> that's a, for 2023. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, thank you, Jane. Thank you, Amanda. Two of the best feature magazine writers in the country. Um, and thank you also to everyone for listening to Good Weekend Talks this year. We'll be back January 28 next year, but we'll be resurfacing some of the best of the year over the summer break. And have a wonderful Christmas and summer break to you.
0: Good Weekend Talks is brought to you by the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Subscriptions power our newsrooms. To support independent journalism, search subscribe Sydney Morning Herald or The Age. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Good Weekend Talks is produced by Julia Karkatzel. Editing from Conrad Marshall. Tom McKendrick is head of audio. And Katrina Strickland is the editor of Good Weekend.